Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk to pianist Michelle McLaughlin. She says that she's always been musical. When she was in kindergarten, she learned to play the piano. Whatever songs they were singing in class, she would go home and learn them by ear and then play them for the class, almost as a form of show and tell. She remembers Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and Mary Had a Little Lamb. Then, when she was eight and she was getting better at playing, she learned George Winston's songs by ear specifically his December album. Eventually, she began creating her own music. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber Seward Brewing Company The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau Derek Adolph Sharon Liska Jake Liska Alaska Surf Adventure Aquila Space and Borderline Legacy Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at Tee Public, From t-shirts to hoodies to stickers, baby onesies and more. Just go to the crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Michelle McLaughlin. Her albums have their roots in Christmas. Her first one, Beginnings, she gave out as Christmas gifts. She borrowed a digital keyboard and recorded the album onto a cassette tape. Her mom loved it and would play it in her car. So Michelle made 30 copies of that tape and decided to give them away as presents to friends and family. The feedback she got was so encouraging that it motivated her to keep making albums. Maybe give them away for presents next Christmas. That was in 2000. By 2003, she had put her music online and that was the beginning of her career. She calls her time at the piano her musical diary. It's when she can express her raw emotions and her raw feelings. And you can tell. Her music is contemplative, dramatic, triumphant, melancholy, and joyous. It's the result of her sitting down and pouring her heart into it. At her performances, before she plays a song, she tells the story behind it. Stories about her family, her hardships, her travels, her pursuit of love, all of the emotions and the experiences that are so integral to her music. She says it's one of her favorite parts of her concerts sharing intimate pieces of her life so that her audience might, for at least a moment, feel those same emotions. So here she is, Michelle McLaughlin. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. 
crude conversations. Listen more, then you talk. Go to work! Earlier, right before we started chatting, um, you said that your your schedule is pretty free. Yeah, yeah. So I, I work for myself. I'm, you know, I'm a business owner. I run my own music business. And I, you know, when I'm not in active album release mode, I actually live a pretty retired lifestyle. I can kind of just, mm. you know, travel when I want and do what I want in the day. I don't really, you know, have to adhere to, you know, like a, a working schedule. I kind of work all the time. And, you know, just so I, you know, I play piano every day and, and then I work on office things every day, you know, book work and, you know, answering emails and processing orders and stuff. But the rest of my time is, is pretty open, which is really nice. You said that you adhere to a retired lifestyle, you know, besides the, the work element that you just described, what else does that include? Well, we, we love to travel. So I think the thing for me, the retired lifestyle concept is just being able to pick up and go whenever, you know, if I want to go mm -hmm. take two weeks and, and travel um, to Peru with my sister or, you know, travel to the Bahamas with Matt, you know, it's like I have the freedom of time to be able to just kind of, you know, go a away for a while. Or, you know, if, 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 for example, I just want to watch TV all day because I'm just not really feeling like doing anything. Yeah. I kind of have that. For, I mean, I don't do that very often, but I have that freedom of time to just sort of, you know, manage my schedule however I see fit. And that's that's what I mean by retired lifestyle. Where's the last place you traveled to? The Bahamas. We went uh, to the Great Exuma uh, Sandals Resort in, um, let's see, it was no beginning of November. And was that planned organized or was it just kind of like let's go to the bahamas it was planned yeah we so we love to go to sandals resorts and every time we go there we we book our next vacation and so we had this one planned from the year before uh, november 21 we went to uh grenada mm -hmm. and so this one was on the schedule and um our next one is actually grenada again next next fall <laughs> you guys liked it that much we love Sandals Resorts. The food is really good. The service is impeccable. The, you know, the, the pools are always really nice. The water is really nice. So, you know, I was uh, informed by Spotify and this was last year, but it informed me that you are my artist of the decade. <gasps> That's awesome. <laughs> of the decade. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I listen to your music on shuffle usually multiple times a week when I do research and write questions for these interviews, actually. So I spent a lot of time with your music writing the questions for your interview. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, thank you for being such a long, long, um, you know, supporter and listener. And I'm glad you stuck with me all this time. <laughs> And I'm I'm trying to remember how I originally found out about you. You know, I probably have it written down somewhere, but I I really like just discovering new music, you know, whether it's through, you know, Spotify or, you know, way back in the day, it was going to Sam Goody and just picking up random CDs and really becoming familiar with the artist, the producers, and then, you know, you're able to look on other you know, back of CDs and be like, oh, that same producer did this CD. So I bet this CD is going to be pretty good. And so 
So all that to say, I, I'm not exactly sure how I originally found out about you, um, but I know it was, uh, I think it was Across the Buren was, was the very first song I heard of yours. And I'm like, good Lord, this song is incredible. You know, so incredible that my wife and I actually walked down the aisle to it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that that uh, album, you probably heard me on Pandora or YouTube because because that album in particular to A Celtic Dream, um, it it does really, really well on Pandora. And so I, I'm so grateful for the exposure that it's gotten. And that song in particular is one of my favorites on the album, too. It's It's fun and it's lively and I'm really glad you like it. And I think I remember... You know, we did this interview back in 2017, and I think I remember you saying that that song is about the traffic in Ireland. Like you spent some time in Ireland and the traffic there um, and the roads really motivated or inspired that song. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the roads are really skinny in Ireland and you drive on the opposite side of the road from us in the United States. And so it's a little nerve wracking. And then there's really no room for error. There's no, you know, shoulder or margin on the side mm -hmm. of the road. So yeah. we were driving on these tiny little skinny Irish roads and, and they drive like madmen there. And, and we were driving in an area that's called the Burren. And we were on our way from Galway to the Cliffs of Moher. And we were in this area driving on these little roads. And it was so much fun and, and just an adventure. So I wrote a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have one more one more thing I, I wanted to mention. You know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm kind of gassing your head. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you all these accolades because I'm excited to chat with you. But um, this, this next thing that I have to say is, is a little heavy but I promise you this conversation is a lot of fun. So, so we'll, we'll talk about this for a second and then uh, we'll get into some of the fun stuff. But, you know, your music has helped me get through some of the toughest times in my life. You know, I've told you this before and I included it in that interview that I mentioned just a minute ago, uh, the one back in 2017. And... You know, actually, I'll just read what I wrote back then for listeners who might not have read that article. So eight years ago, when my mom's heart stopped on Christmas Eve and she was admitted to the intensive care unit at Providence Medical Center, my family played music in her room, specifically your albums, Christmas, Plain and Simple, One and Two. Those two albums were there in that hospital room. All three times the doctors attempted to wake her from hypothermic therapy, a process where a body is cooled to 91 degrees for 48 hours, then warmed back to 98.6 degrees. She woke on the third try, clutching and crying over a family photo after she fully regained eyesight. And your music was there with us the entire time. Do you have any specific music or musicians that are important to you? Maybe that were there for you in moments of pain or hardship? Wow, yeah. So first of all, that's um, just a really touching and beautiful story. Um, so I just want to say, first of all, that that I'm glad that my music, you know, has been there for you guys in like this, you know, really difficult time and that it, you know, that it's brought you comfort and, and just been... Uh, you know, an ease. So I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> yeah, I I mean, music to me is it, it's most important and most effective when it touches you deeply. You know, so there's there's certain songs and certain artists that I listen to that I, I call it hurting my heart. You know, if this song hurts my heart, it's like one of my favorites and I'll listen to it over and over and over again. And so I have, you know, particularly mostly just individual songs rather than artists in particular. But mm -hmm. I, you know, I do have um, a lot of like multiple playlists that I've created with music that just, you know, it, it helps calm me. It helps soothe me. It helps you know, show me light at the end of the tunnel. It, you know, and I think that music in general does that for a lot of people. Um, I think music in general just is, is a very healing and comforting thing in our lives. And so it's really good to kind of, you know, utilize that to help us, you know, live. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned these, these songs that, that hurt your heart, you know, these individual songs, did any come to mind? Yeah, so there's an, a band um, called Aquilo. I think that's how you say their name. It's A-Q-U-I-L-L-O. And I adore their music. Um, they have a song called I Gave It All that is one of my go-to. I just love it. And um, She Used to Be Mine by Sarah Bareilles is another. Um, there's um, Simmel. Uh, Simmel, his, his name is pronounced S-Y-M-L, so it's Simmel. Okay. Um, most of his music, I, I listen to a lot of like real mellow kind of singer-songwriter style music, down-tempo. Um, piano music in general, uh, Touch by Matthew Mayer is one of my all-time favorites. Um, no More Shame by Adam Andrews is another just, I mean... Um, I call it golden goodness. <laughs> it's, just, it's one of those songs where you hear it and you're like, oh, I wish I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Thad Fiskella has amazing music um, through the light. Uh, I mean, just beyond. He has another one called Beyond that's just incredible. Uh, Chad Lawson, uh, Nocturne in A minor. All of those songs just really speak to me. David Nevue's Open Sky. Yeah, I mean, I could just go on with a bunch of different piano songs <laughs> that just speak to me. Something I'm catching on to is you seem like you like to put things into categories, you know, give them a name, you know, things like songs that hurt my heart and the one that you just mentioned, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's different, right? Solo piano music is very different than singer-songwriter style music. And very different from like, you know, rock music. Yeah. So, so yeah, I do, I do categorize things, you know, based on, and especially to like how I'm feeling. Like if I'm feeling like I'm, you know, driving around the city and I'm feeling like I want to be a little bit more edgy, I listen to, you know, Octane on Sirius XM, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but sometimes I just want to be mellow and I just want to sing. Sometimes I just want to sing. So I have a playlist of music that I love to sing to and everything. Yeah. Compartmentalized, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I, um, I've never thought about you singing, you know, cause I am so familiar with your, your, your piano music. You know, I, I never thought of, you know, Michelle singing as well. Well, there isn't really like a Michelle singing in the, in a, like, I'm going to share that with the world kind of thing. <laughs> it's more like, um, you know, actually, and I, I will say I do write uh, singer songwriter style music. I play guitar just a little bit, not great. Okay. And I, you know, of course I can, you know, play piano. So I do have music that, that I have written lyrics and, and stuff too, but it's not anything that I am at this point brave enough to share with anyone, but maybe someday. Isn't that kind of how your career started? You know, you, you made this album, um, your very first one, 
is it called Beginnings? Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm trying. I'm, I'm like, I don't have any of this written down. I'm just like, just trying to scoop it out of my brain. <laughs> um, but didn't you write that for family? And they were like, Hey, you should, you know, compile this into an album. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I used to play piano when I was really young and I would just write music and, you know, record it on a tape recorder. Cause back then that's how we did it. And, yeah. and, uh, my mom really wanted to be able to listen to it in the car. So she begged me, you know, please make me a tape. And I was like, okay, I'll make you a tape, you know, after acquiescing <laughs> after a long time of, you know, so I borrowed this little digital keyboard and I, um, uh, put a makeshift tape recorder on it and I literally just I mean it's mistakes and all are on this this cassette tape and I think there's probably 18 songs on it and um I thought well if I'm going to make this tape for my mom I might as well just you know give it away as a Christmas present to everybody that year Mm -hmm. so I made 30 copies of it and I gave it to friends and family for Christmas and that's kind of what started this whole thing because everyone came back with like, you know, this amazing feedback of like, wow, I didn't know you did this or, oh my gosh, you should do more of this. Or, you know, your songs were so beautiful, but they're too short. You need to make them longer, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. And so then that just sort of, you know, inspired me to, it started off as just Christmas presents every year for, for friends and family. And then I, let's see, I released beginnings in 2000. And then in 2003, I ended up putting my music online. Um, and then it was on iTunes and then on YouTube. And then that kind of, that's the beginning of my career. So pretty crazy. Do you still have that cassette tape? I, yes, I do. Um, I don't have an, I don't have a tape player to play it with though, but yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us have a tape player. Yeah. I think if you, you could go on Amazon and probably buy one, but then you'd have to, I don't know, like, what would you do with it? <laughs> yeah. You'd play beginnings right yeah yeah no i have that as a cd now you can just get the cd (laughs) that's true or spotify or pandora yeah and streaming is where everybody listens to music now i mean in fact i mean a lot of people don't even have cd players in their cars or on their computers anymore so Mm -hmm. yeah i bought a cd not that long ago and i didn't even think about how i was going to play it because i don't have anything to play it in in my apartment and I came to the realization that the only way I can play it is in my wife's car, Carrie's car. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, I guess I'm going to sit in your car for an hour and listen to this CD. Yeah, I ended up buying a uh, a, like an external CD drive for my computer, because Mm. when I do get my new, you know, when I release new albums, I need to be able to listen to them you know, on the computer and in, in my studio monitors. And I listen to it in the car. I listen to it all over to see, make sure it sounds good, you know? Yeah. And so I do, I have this little, this little external CD drive that I hook to my computer. That, that's smart. I think I, I think I might do that. I'll put it in the, uh, the junk closet, you know, filled with stuff that I only use like four times a year. <laughs> right. <laughs> 10 years from now, you'll be like, what is this? <laughs> what is this contraption? <laughs> Do you remember the first song you learned to play on the piano? Um, not particularly the actual song, but but I used to play music by ear for kindergarten. So, you know, whatever songs we were singing in kindergarten, um, I would go home and learn, you know, learn those by ear on the piano. And then I would come back to to school and then play them for my class, you know, as like a show and tell kind of a thing. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, probably like, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and Mary Had a Little Lamb and then stuff like that. But then, but then I started learning how to play George Winston's music by ear. And um, we had his Thanksgiving album and his December album. And so there were a lot of songs on, on his albums that I, you know, learned how to kind of play the melodies on. So even at that young age, you, you know, you're identifying music and then you're playing it or kind of replaying it by ear. Yeah. And kind of making it my own. Cause I never really learned like how to play it exactly. It was just like what I could hear and I could play by ear always like, you know, just even when I, I remember being like five when I started playing and then I remember being eight when I started playing George Winston's music. And, and then eventually I just, you know, started creating my own, my own creations. Cause that was more fun than trying to figure out other people's creations. Yeah. And then that, you know, that's even nowadays, I, I very rarely play anything that, you know, is anyone else's music. Just, I just do my own. And, you know, when you sit down at the piano and I'm sure this has evolved, you know, over the years, but when you, when you sit down at the piano and you're composing something brand new, what's that like? So it's amazing. First of all, it's, <laughs> it's the only time that my brain is quiet. Like my brain hmm. is constantly thinking of 7 million things all at once. And I get distracted really easily. I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that walks into a room and can't remember why I walked in there and then, and then, you know, sit down at the computer with the intention of doing something, but then get distracted. And then I'm off doing a bunch of other things. And so the piano is truly like my, my quiet time. And, and I call it noodling around, but it's basically improv, uh, improvisation. And I like to just kind of sit and, and, and just noodle around with different melody ideas and different chord ideas and different feelings. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually something will catch my ear and I'll be like, oh, I like that. And then I'll just continually play that over and over and over again until it becomes a song. And songs actually, um, they develop rather quickly, like the bones of it, you know, the foundation. Mm-hmm. I can write a song in a matter of, of minutes. And then it's, you know, the time to develop it and kind of fine tune it and really get it in my fingers and my brain. That's, you know, that's the longer part. But but um, most of the time it's just, you know, noodling around, something catches my ear and then I, you know, I just grab a hold of it and just make it happen. And are you doing this all by memory or do you have like an audio recorder, you know, set close to you and then you can refer back to that? It, it, at the very beginning of it, I actually, if I'm noodling around and something catches my ear, I can recreate it rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll hurry and turn on the, the voice recorder app on my phone. And then I can record my idea. And then that way, because if I get up and walk away from the piano, it's gone. And if I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing, it's gone. Like my boyfriend, Matt, will, you know, he'll, he'll scream out to me from another room. He's like, did you record that? And I'm like, no, because I don't even know what I was doing, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, I get it. Initially I get the idea in recording and then, and then it comes to the point where it's like, I just practice it and practice it and practice it so much that it's in my memory and then I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. You said that your brain is thinking of 7 million things at once. What are you thinking about? Oh my gosh, everything <laughs> like, like what I need to do in a day or what I, you know, what, uh, you know, what I'm looking forward to things I'm stressing about. I'm a worrier. I'm a okay. big time worrier. So I'm always thinking about, um, you know, things that are, that are worrying me and stressing me out and, and, or, um, you know, I'm, I'm imagining scenarios in my mind or, 
um, you know, I just, yeah, I have a very jumbled, chaotic mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was a really anxious kid. I still have anxiety, but, you know, I, I've I've grown up with, like, panic attacks and, um, you know, probably the best thing that I have discovered recently is meditation, mm-hmm. you know, and being mindful of being in the present because, you know, stress, anxiety is really motivated by like the past and the future. You know, rarely are you, you, um, stressed or anxious about like what's happening currently, unless you, you know, you're in some dire situation. Yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, a hundred percent anxiety is mostly built around your expectations of how things should be. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I suffer also from extreme anxiety, and um, it's been an issue for a lot of my adult life, especially. Um, and meditation is very hard for me. I have mm. tried it, and I've done guided meditations and self meditations, and I have a really hard time focusing. You know, like in a guided meditation, where they'll be like, you know, pay attention to your toes, and then pay attention to your ankles, and yeah. do all that, you know, and then like notice how you're how you're feeling, or all of the you know the different things that you're supposed to pay attention. I have such a hard time paying attention to all of that. Like my mind <laughs> will immediately like, what's that sound over there? And and oh, my, this toe feels weird, and and I wonder what you know. And I start thinking about all these other things. <laughs> I'm yeah. Like no, I'm just focus, Michelle. Just focus. <laughs> I have a hard time. Do you? Do you still do meditation or have you kind of scrapped it? I, uh, I, so are you familiar with the Calm app? I am familiar with the Calm app and I actually use Insight Timer. Okay. I, I do the daily, the daily Calm, um, most, most days. And then I use, um, I use another app called Mindful. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't do it on a regular basis, but I do attempt to help kind of, you know, bring me, bring me to center every now and then. Yeah. You know, I really like the, the breathing exercises, you know, and I've, I've tried to implement them like in my life outside of listening to these meditations. And I feel like I'm actually pretty decent at, you know, taking a deep breath in and really feeling it like in my stomach. And then, breathing it out through my nose or Mm -hmm. vice versa, whichever one is the correct one, (laughs) like your (laughs) nose first or your mouth, I forget, but I'm usually pretty good about that. And I can, I can calm myself pretty easily. And what's funny is, so I I was told about this app uh, from my sister. She's, she's really into yoga, really into like kind of mindfulness and all that stuff. And she's like, you should check out this app. And as I'm listening to these guided meditations and them talk about, you know, how important breathing is, but breathing kind of the correct mindful way. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I've actually been doing this since I was like a child, you know, laying in bed and then just focusing on my breathing, like taking deep breaths in and then, you know, exhaling. And, you know, that puts me to sleep. You know, my wife always jokes with me that if she wants to talk to me about something before bed, then she's probably got to do it, you know, 
like at least a couple minutes before I make the decision to go to sleep because I'll be asleep in like three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in breathing, those, those breathing exercises are very calming. That's, you know, that's why it works so well in yoga and in meditation. Yeah. And it works really well for anxiety. I, for whenever I, cause I too have panic attacks. And when I really kind of get on the edge of that really intense anxiety, it's the breathing exercises that help bring me back and calm me down and help me, you know, kind of move away from that extreme, you know, an anxious feeling. Yeah, I think that that's because it, it brings you back to the present. Mm -hmm. You know, like we were saying earlier, anxiety is fear of like the future or kind of maybe even like shame of the past kind of thing. Yeah. And when you're breathing, you're you're fully, like fully aware. You know, I, I walk to this co-working space where I live and I've been trying to be more mindful of like the things that are around me. You can feel it. You know, you can, you can feel yourself being more aware. Absolutely. And, and I mean, that's the best way to be present is to notice, mm -hmm. you know, be completely aware of your surroundings and the way you're feeling and just, you know, taking it all in. I completely agree with you. I'm going to kind of switch gears here. Does anyone else in your family play music? I have an uncle who plays drums. Um, he actually passed away a few years ago, but he um, is an amazing drummer and has been in multiple bands. And then um, I have another uncle who is also in a band. Um, he also owns a recording studio. And so he was actually the first recording studio that I ever used. Um, my sister plays a little bit of guitar and piano, um, but but for the most part, I'm, I'm the, main, the main musical person in our family. And I just realized I didn't mean to, to switch the subjects. Did we have anything else we wanted to say about mindfulness, anxiety? Uh, no, I mean, I just, yeah, I agree with you. And just, it's, it's such a, a valuable tool, mindfulness and breathing and, and focusing and being present. Like those are all good lessons for everybody, right? And then this, this world right now is just such an anxious, um, high intensity kind of, you know, like everything's go, go, go. Everything's in our face for like, you know, it's, it's instant gratification and, and mm -hmm. things are just popping by us by the second. And that makes life really hard to just sort of be still, you know? So I, I feel like these are really good, you know, lessons for people and messages for people. And just, you know, it's a good form of, of living really, because it brings us you know, kind of out of that craziness that we live in right now. Yeah. You know, I, I've never really been into consumer culture. It's, it's always kind of bugged me. You know, I, I really can't stand malls, you know, because they're just kind of like the epitome of, of this, uh, capitalistic, like kind of consumer culture. And I think that, the whole meditation thing, it, it helps you be a part of the world, but also be aware that, that you don't need to um, be a part of those individual things. Right. Yeah. I mean, consumerism in general, I mean, it, it's like, you know, here we are, we're coming up on Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Is, you know, like it's, it's, it's. And it's always been, you know, what can you buy for people, right? But I feel mm -hmm. like even in today's day and age, it's almost like, 
especially with kids, you know, I want this and I want that and I want that. And then as parents, we're trying to like, you know, make sure we can get everything that our kids want. But then it's like, well, how are we going to afford to buy all the stuff? And, and, you know, and then the list of people to buy things for becomes more, you know, involved and, and it becomes all about the product that you're getting versus, you know, the time spent together and, Mm -hmm. and the experiences made together and, you know, just those quality those quality things that really stick with you way longer than whatever product product it is that you bought for somebody, you know? Yeah. And as a, and as a musician, I'm kind of stuck in this weird, you know, like it's a conundrum because, you know, on one side as just a, a normal everyday person, I'm, you know, like I would love to, um, you know, not be so cons- consumeristic, whatever. I don't know how to say the word, but but as a musician, I want, I, I need to get my music out there. I need people to be aware of it. And so like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sell a product yeah. and, you know, get, get people to be aware. And so I have to, you know, utilize advertising tools and totally, to be yeah. one of those people online that's, you know, pushing a product. And, and sometimes I hate that part of it. You know, I hate the, like, I love to get my music out there and share it with everyone. And I want people to hear it and I want people to, you know, enjoy it and, and love it and have it mean something to them. Mm-hmm. But the process of doing that sometimes is like, oh, you know, I don't want to have to do that part of it. And I think that when you, when you see the benefits, you know, of, of doing that stuff, you know, of paying for the advertisement or going through all that marketing stuff, you're like, oh, well, you know, I guess it was worth it. You know, it, it reached these people that it would have otherwise not reached. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there's only so much reach you can do on your own organically. You've got to, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to utilize the tools and, and, you know, you hope that you're not irritating people <laughs> because they're seeing your ad every five minutes, yeah. you know, totally, <laughs> but yeah. I think the, the people that really, you know, that really follow you and, and love the music and stuff, they don't mind so much. It's the, you know, it's the people that don't really know who you are and they're seeing this ad over and over again. They're like, come on, mm-hmm. like, you know, that, that part's not great, but. Are there any songs that remind you of your family? Oh my gosh. So many. I, I've, I've written actually quite a few um, songs about my family and experiences. Um, I have several songs about my son. Um, I have a song that I wrote when my mom died, my birth mom died. Um, that one's called, um, <clears throat> now I'm going to forget the name. Oh, When You Were Still Around. And then I have one that I wrote for my uncle who was a drummer and he passed away. That one's called Until We Meet Again. Um, and then I've got, you know, songs for my kitties. <laughs> I have songs for my sister. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, you've described your process of making music as musical storytelling, right? Mm hmm. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I actually call my time at the piano like my musical diary. um, Because it's like when I'm creating it's I'm pulling in the moment, I'm not actually thinking about anything, even though I tell stories and say this song was inspired by, you know, this, and that it it is inspired by that. But I don't really think about that until after when I'm listening to the song and trying to figure out what did what did this song mean to me? And where am I pulling the title from? Mm -hmm. You know, but in the moment, it's just it's, it's just my raw emotions and raw feelings coming out onto the keys. And so it very much is a diary of like, where I am in my life at the minute. And so you know, when I'm, when I'm titling songs and theming albums, I kind of build, I kind of build that around, like, what was I going through at the time that I wrote this music? 
and then I and then I come up with a story for that. So, for example, um, we'll use "Give It Time" um, on my life album as an example. So, so that song was written at the time when my my son had just turned eighteen, and he decided that he was moving out. And it was very difficult because I was pushing back as a mother, trying to tell him, you know, you're too young, you're not ready, you know, but he was very much, I'm 18, you can't tell me what to do anymore. Mm -hmm. And so there was this push and pull going on. And then he moved in with a bunch of people that I didn't know. I didn't know where he was living. And, and as a mother, I was just in, you know, a constant state of stress, worrying about my child. And so I writ I wrote this song called Give It Time. That's just this intense kind of like big, um, you can feel that there's turmoil in the song. And, and so when I listened back I, after I wrote the song, I'm like, okay, what did this, wh where did this come from? And I'm like, okay, this, this is because of Brandon. And so then the idea was, you know, like if he's going to come back, he's going to come around and, and things will be fine again. So if I just give it time and be patient and trust and know that, you know, he's, blazing his own path and and eventually it'll be better you know so that's mm -hmm. kind of that's kind of how a story comes to life with a mu with you know different my music and then i you know like i could go on every single song and tell you the story for all of the songs you know based on on those moments in my life where it kind of you know it was born <laughs> yeah i am going to test your knowledge okay a tale of courage the remix so <laughs> Um, those earlier songs, the, the Christmas plain and simple, let's see, a tale of courage is on, uh, let me think about it. Don't tell me. Okay. A tale of courage is on a change of color. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So those earlier albums are actually, uh, the stories that go with those are more about how the song felt. So back in the day before I started performing, I used to just listen to my music. I'd write, I'd write the music. I'd listen to it and be like, what does this song remind me of? What does it feel like? I'm like, oh, this song sounds like basically a traveler going through like, like almost like Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like Gandalf traveling, you know, through the mountains <laughs> yeah. and braving the elements and whatnot. And so I'm like, that's what this song sounds like. So courage, I'm going to call it a tale of courage. So that's funny that you bring that up because those earlier albums before I started performing were very much titled and themed in that way. But when I started performing and having to tell stories and share my experiences with an audience, that's when I really started to compose in a very different kind of a way mm -hmm. and to share my music in a different way, because now it's not just a song that I'm sharing. It's an experience and it's a story. So everything past 2008 when I did, um, well, actually probably 2007 when I did uh, Dedication. Mm. What about Finn McCool? So Finn McCool is, we were in Ireland and we were in Northern Ireland up by the Causeway coastline. Mm -hmm. And the Causeway coastline is this really cool geological formation where, where lava, you know, cools in these um, like hexagonal and octagonal uh, basalt columns. And they look like stepping stones, and it's really it's really quite interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and the the I the Irish have a legend for everything, so their legend is that there was a giant, and his name was Finn McCool, and he lived up in this area, and there was another giant on the other side over in Scotland across the Channel, mm -hmm. and these two giants would bicker and fight with each other all the time, and Finn McCool 
one day basically egged on this Scottish giant. He was like, well, bring it on, come fight me. And so he picked up big clods of land and threw it out into the water to build a bridge so that this Scottish giant could come fight him. And then after he did this, he went home and told his wife what he had done. And his wife was like, what, are you crazy? That's dumb. (laughs) And so she disguised him and dressed him up as a baby. And then this Scottish giant in the nighttime came over and saw this ginormous baby and was like, oh, if that's the size of the baby, I'm terrified of the dad. (laughs) So he went running back to Scotland and tore the bridge apart as he went over there so that that Finn McCool couldn't come fight him. And this was the legend that they told us about when we were on the tour of this area. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, well, I have to write a song about that. And so (laughs) it's, you know, it's a comical dance back and forth between those two, the two giants. And that's why it's kind of when you listen to it, it's kind of a waltzy back and forth. Has anyone ever approached you with a different interpretation of your music than, you know, your original intention? Oh, yeah, it happens all the time, actually. You know, like, like people will tell me what the music meant to them or how it made them feel or, you know, what they pictured. Um, and, and a lot of times it's very different you know, and it'll be different. Like, you know, let's say we're, we're, I do a concert and I'm, you know, talking with the audience afterwards and somebody will say, oh, this song, that's the beautiful thing about music too, is it's so subjective and personal to everybody and, and what's going on in their life. And, and, you know, it, it, that's amazing. How often do you work through personal issues through your music? Every day. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, everything I write is is every time I'm playing it's it's, you know, letting letting out my frustrations and my fears and my worries and my love and my joy and my excitement. It's all, you know, so I'm I'm constantly um expressing myself through music and and trying to you know, work through those worries and and I don't know, like my album home is all built around just the joy of buying this new house that we're in and, and the experience that Matt and I had together of the whole, you know, bringing this together and making this our home together. And, Mm -hmm. and all of that music is really, you know, like for me, just calming and, and peaceful and joyous and content, you know, content, all the feelings for, for that. But then you've got music like on life where there's a lot of heartbreak and sadness and frustration, you know, on that album, Luminous is, is, you know, a lot more like a breath. It Luminous is very much like, like a meditative breath for me, that whole entire album. It's just quiet and like adult lullabies. From a listener's perspective, and please correct me if my interpretation is wrong, but it seems like over the years you've become happier. Yeah. Well, I found love. <laughs> Okay. I found love and and I think that, you know, when you're when you're in a in a space of you know, feeling peaceful and feeling loved and feeling um grounded that, you know, that kind of reflects. So, in just in general, the music that I'm creating is a lot more happier, a lot more peaceful, a lot less angst. Um I actually joke from time to time that I can't write sad music anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> because I just don't have that in my heart right now, you know? So it's hard to write a sad song when you're not really feeling that sad. How does that make you feel? Uh, frustrated, actually. Okay. Because I really love to write sad music. That's actually my favorite music to write. I love, I think th- the last song that I wrote that was really, truly super sad um, was Alone on my memoirs album. Mm-hmm. And that, 
that was very much like me feeling just super lonely. And that was kind of before I found love and before um, Matt and I really kind of, you know, started our relationship. And so <clears throat> now, you know, the music that I'm writing is, is there might be some frustration and there might be like, if you listen to my new album, um, um, Luminous, that one has a song on it called Adrift. Mm -hmm. And that one is about feeling kind of musically lost, but that wasn't um, built around sadness. It was more of like a time period where I just didn't feel inspired and I didn't feel creative. And so I really wasn't writing very well. And so Adrift kind of came from that feeling of being like, oh no, am I, <laughs> am I losing my ability to write music? And, you know, and also maybe a little bit of, um, have I lost my ability to write sad music? Mm. Because I, you know, when I do try and write sad music, it just never really comes out sad. You know, it always has an element and glimmer of, I don't know, joy and hope kind of underneath the surface. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a funny thing to say. It's like, I, I, I don't want to be so happy, or at least I don't want to make music that, you know, is so happy. I would imagine that it's kind of like being a writer, right? If you're a writer like Stephen King, you know, you have to come up with these stories that may not reflect at all what your life is like. You know, he comes up with these crazy, horrific stories that are yeah. terrifying and violent and dark. And I mean, I'm sure his life isn't like that. Yeah. But as a composer, you know, it's like, for me personally, I'm not just writing music with an idea. You know, I'm not sitting down at the end and saying, okay, I'm going to write a song in A minor and it's going to be, you know, three quarter time. And like, I don't think about it like that. So yeah. it's more like, how am I feeling? It's very much my emotions. And so if I'm not feeling sad, it's it for me, it's really hard to kind of replicate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't want to force it or else it'll come off, you know, it won't come off genuine. Right. Right. And that that's a big thing for me, like, like <sighs> the sincerity of it and being genuine and having it be relatable, but also not forced and not fake and not manufactured, mm -hmm. you know, like, that, you know, that's just, I don't know, it's me telling my story and me being authentic. Um, so it's, that's important to me when I'm writing and when I'm releasing and creating projects that I'm sharing with the world, because mm -hmm. I don't want people to, one of the things that people do tell me when I meet with them and talk with them is that they love, you know, how open I am, that I, you know, I share my life so freely. And I do that through music and the stories and stuff. And, and it means a lot to people. So, you know, continuing to do that is important to me. What do you think was your toughest album to make? Um, I would say that that Undercurrent and Life. <clears throat> um, Undercurrent was kind of a darker time, and Life was Life was a hard one because um, there was a lot of heartbreak in that album. Um, Out of the Darkness actually was also a tough one, but I. So Out of the Darkness was written um, after I got divorced and I didn't want it to be about my divorce, but I wanted it to be more about my journey to healing after that difficult, you know, experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the first half of that album is really truly music that I was writing in my, in my depths of sorrow and despair of losing that marriage. Um, but then it progressively gets, you know, happier and lighter and more, you know, uh, freeing as you, you know, the, the progression of my journey to healing gets better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and same with, same with life. Like there's, there's some heartbreak music on that because Matt and I, you know, we're trying to, to build a relationship, but he, you know, typical, typical story. I wanted a relationship and he didn't. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was some sadness on my part for that. And, 
And then, you know, it took him a while and he came around. <laughs> so, you know, but there was, you know, there's some music there that that's really hard. And that's also the time when I was, I was, you know, doing a lot of meditation therapy and yoga therapy. That's what uh, a deeper understanding is about. My son was moving out. That's give it time. You know, there was, there was a lot of turmoil and angst on that album. Yeah. I asked that question specifically because of out of the darkness. You know, okay. I absolutely love that CD. I mean, I love, I love all your CDs, but, but that one, um, you know, I, I really have a special connection to because, you know, these, these darker songs or these songs that maybe I interpret as darker really got me through some like tough times back in Alaska, you know, um, when I was, when I was still living in Alaska and I was just, I don't know. It might sound weird to you, or maybe it doesn't sound weird at all, but they, they make you feel seen. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's an experience that a lot of people uh, share, you know, maybe the exact details of the experience are different, but the idea of loss and losing a relationship and, and, you know, or being in a, you know, in a, you know, just in a situation where you're, where you're going through something, right? And then it, there's a progression of of feeling that thing and kind of being stuck in that thing and then finding your way out of that thing. Mm -hmm. And that's a relatable story for all of us. And so for me, you know, that music came from uh, came from heartbreak and disbelief and shock and and uh, despair and sorrow and then anger, a lot of anger mm. um, and then to, um, you know, like, okay, hope, and I'm making it through this and uh, feeling proud of myself and uh, feeling inspired. There's a lot of, you know, that, that personal um, growth story in that album. And I think that it, it translates, the sentiment of those ideas translates to you know, so often when I drive around and it would be winter in Alaska and, you know, the weather is tumultuous, it's inclement, you know, there are, uh, you know, there's, there's snow being swept across the highway and, it, and in certain moments it's overcast and it just, it feels very bleak, but beautiful. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a good way of describing it actually bleak, but beautiful. And, you know, so many of your songs that I'd listen to and I'd be driving around just like totally matched what I was seeing out of my front windshield, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to write a song and call it bleak, but beautiful. <laughs> that would be incredible. I'll dedicate it to you. Oh my gosh. You have made my I, Christmas. I would love to live in Alaska, but only in the summertime. It is <laughs> because beautiful Alaska in the summertime. is so gorgeous, but you've got, you know, wintertime. So I live in Utah and we have a long, a, a long winter here as well. In fact, it snowed last night and, and it's beautiful, but it's cold and it's dismal and we have horrible air quality because of inversion and it feels like winter never ends here. And um, I have actually a lot of songs written about my my hatred of wintertime. Oh, you do? <laughs> I do. I have one called Melancholy Snowfall. I have one called Midwinter Memories. I have another one just called Winter just those songs are all beautiful too. Yeah, yeah. So there there's my inspiration. I'm gonna start thinking about the snow and the winter and the dark and I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bleak and be bleak but beautiful. How often do you listen to your own music? All the time. 
Is that embarrassing to admit that? I, I Not at all, no. I, I actually think about it as like, I write the music because I like it. Like yeah. that's what, you know, it spoke to me. So it's like, I don't want to just write it and then never listen to it again. So I actually have a Spotify playlist that my entire collection is in. And then I have another one with all my Christmas music when it's, you know, holiday times. And yeah, and I do, I listen, I listen to it a lot. And, and especially when I'm releasing a new album too, like I, I just released Luminous, so I, I've been listening to that on repeat over and over and over again, just because you know it's 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 new and I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do. <laughs> what goes through your mind when you're listening to your own music? Um, there's the new stuff. There's an element of excitement and an element of pride. Like I feel proud of myself and and I feel grateful that you know, like I you know have this creative outlet that that, you know, produces something that is beautiful and other people enjoy it. You know, there's, there's the the gratitude element. And then there's, um, sometimes there's a disbelief, like, whoa, like, did I really do this? (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes there's imposter syndrome, you know, like, like, no, I didn't, you know, like you kind of have that negative Mm self-talk where we kind of downplay ourselves, you know, and like, and try and convince ourselves that we're not worthy. I do that um, sometimes, you know, and I think that's pretty normal for creative minds as well. Like just that, that feeling of, of not being deserving or whatever. And then there's, there's a lot of emotions that go into it. And sometimes when I'm listening to older music too, there's an element of, of um, like embarrassment. Really? <laughs> because okay. I listen to some old songs and I'm like, oh, I hate that. You know, where did that come from? And other times I'm like, whoa, I wrote that. Like, I don't remember that. And and there's like, I don't know, newfound excitement. There's a, there's a lot of emotions that go on in my mind about that stuff. Are you at all transported back to those memories or feelings or mindsets? Sometimes, but... Um... It depends on what it is. So for example, uh, the song I was telling you about that I wrote when my mom died, whenever I hear that, it just reminds me of that, that time period. Um, Give it time with Brandon, same thing. But a lot of the music on Out of the Darkness has actually morphed for me into, because I don't, you know, I don't really think about my ex-husband or that relationship or anything like that. So, you know, my feelings around that don't come back when I listen to that music. It's more just, um, new experiences and, and, and things in my life that the music might speak to now. Mm -hmm. How does your son Brandon feel about your music? Like when he listens to songs that he influenced? He loves it. And he tells his friends about it. (laughs) He's like, my mom wrote this because of me, you know, (laughs) he, uh, and then like, you know, he doesn't live with me anymore. He's married now. And, and, you know, I see him every now and then, but when I play for him, he's like, he says always, he's like, Oh, I miss, I miss hearing you play every day. Mm-hmm. You know, but his his music he's very musical as well, but not in a playing sense. He just has an amazing musical taste and an amazing musical ear. And so he's always sharing music with me that he loves. So he'll be like, he sends me stuff on Spotify, Mom, check this out, you know? Yeah. And and but he does, you know, the, he likes to lay under the piano when I play. He and his wife lay under the piano and listen to me and yeah, it's sweet. That is sweet. Are they coming back to Utah for Christmas? They actually live 10 minutes from me. Oh, okay. So they're in Utah. <laughs> yeah, they're in Utah. Okay. They just live down the street, but he's 25 and you know, 25 year olds don't want to hang out with their mom. Not even on Christmas. So, well, he'll be here for Christmas, but okay. he does call me quite often. We talk on the phone way more than I actually see him. I think that that will probably increase, you know, as he gets older. I know it did for me. 
Yeah, that's what everyone says. They always say, you know, they'll he'll he'll start spending more time with me as he gets older. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a while back in that interview that I did with you in 2017 that I mentioned before, you said that at your performances, you tell a story before each song. Do you still do that? I do. Yeah, and it's one of my favorite parts of the concert because it gives me an opportunity to, you know, interact with the off with the audience and then, you know, share my experience and kind of paint that experience for them ahead of the music. Mm-hmm. And then it also gives us something to talk about after because people will, you know, share their experience of the song or um, you know, talk about how that, you know, my experience of the song related to them in, you know, whatever way and 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 so it, it's actually, to me, in my opinion, if I were just to sit down and play a concert and not share the stories and not talk about, you know, my experiences, it would feel boring. When did you start doing that? 2007. Okay, so pretty early. Yeah, so I um, was introduced to a performance with a colleague. They invited me to share the stage with them to do um, a guest performance. And then right after that, I did a full concert with another colleague. They invited me to come and that's how they did concerts was sharing the stories. And my experience doing concerts was really new. I hadn't really performed before. So I just sort of, you know, followed suit and did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then it became, you know, I started running my house concert series um, and I was doing what, eight to 10 concerts a year through my house concert series plus touring. And, you know, it's just, that just became the format and I've always done it that way. Do you think performing live helps you get over your anxiety? Oh man, it's yes and no. So pre-pandemic times, I was very, very confident performing in front of an audience. I, you know, I knew my songs, I was practiced, I could tell my stories with ease, I could interact with people and, and, you know, host a show and be, you know, good at it. Mm-hmm. And now performance wise, you know, after pandemic, because, you know, I haven't performed or done a concert since 2019. And so there's a lot of anxiety that has built up. Um, and I know that if I got back into it and started doing it regularly again, like I would, it would be like riding a bicycle, mm-hmm. you know, I would get good at it again and, and feel confident at it again. But right now there's actually an immense amount of anxiety around performance and, um, you know, talking to an audience, public speaking kind of a thing. Do you have anything that you do to maybe prepare yourself? Um, I guess to give some some personal history. I know that, you know, with the podcast, for example, I know that if I spend the right amount of time on my research and on writing my questions and painstakingly going through like the wording and all of that, my anxiety just dissipates, you know, and I'm ready for the conversation. Do you have anything like that that you do to prepare yourself? I actually prepare by like, I will sit in my piano room and I will do a concert for the room and I will talk to the room as though I'm talking to an audience and I will stand up and I will smile at the room and, you know, and I'll, I'll say thank you right after I pretend that there's been, you know, uh, applause, you know, after a song. And I basically recreate a concert, even though there's nobody there. And I do that several times before a performance so that I am, I'm prepared, I'm practiced, you know? 
That is absolutely eerie and awesome <laughs> because I read my questions out loud before I even start these conversations. You know, like so often I will go off script, you know, and maybe I'll ask a question from page two, uh, you know, five minutes into the conversation. So things will switch around, you know, and it's never exactly how I have it written down, but I do, you know, I, I, I read these questions out loud so that when I am asking them in the conversation, in the official conversation, they're not new to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and it helps because, you know, then you're in your mind, you've practiced it, you're prepared. And it's not for me, particularly, like if I'm in front of an audience and I if my brain can't find what I'm supposed to say, that makes the anxiety worse. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I saying? I, I don't know what I'm doing. And then and then I'm in a, in a headspace that's not healthy mm-hmm. in front of a, you know, in front of an audience. And so for me personally, having that preparation is essential to being able to put on a good show and being able to not feel awkward and not come across as being unprepared and awkward, you know, like it, it's, it's part of the process and it's so helpful to do it out loud, you know, like you can do it in your head, but when you do it out loud, it makes it more real, I guess. Totally. And I think that it's kind of, you know, our responsibility to the listeners you know, like they, they paid for this thing and, you know, we need to come prepared. Absolutely. And providing the experience is essential, right? You don't, you don't want people to come to your show or, or, you know, listen to your podcast and walk away feeling like, uh, you know, that wasn't great or I didn't enjoy that or just not even really having an idea of why they just don't feel great about it. You know, that, that's like the worst possible outcome. You want to have people walk away with a smile on their face and, and joy in their heart and feeling like, oh, that was amazing, you know? And, and so, <clears throat> I don't know, for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very much about providing experience. Like, like, I want people to feel joyous and feel happy and feel content and feel moved by, you know, the thing that I'm, that I'm sharing with them. So that part of it's very important to me. Do you have any stories you'll tell before playing one of your songs from your new album, Luminous? I haven't performed my new album yet, actually. But what do you mean? Like just one of the songs that I have? Yeah. You know, when you do perform it, have you started kind of mapping that out? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have stories for all of the songs. So basically, um, the the idea of this album is just different different elements of light and dark. So I'm sharing not so much a personal experience, although a lot of the music is personal. For example, uh, my song Shimmer, that song is about being grounded and feeling centered and just kind of sitting in my own stillness and feeling gratitude. And so, you know, the music, that that song to me is very much a gratitude kind of a song. Uh, Droplets of Grey is, is, you know, to me, it's like rain dripping down a window outside and you're sitting on a couch with a comfy blanket and a cup of tea in hand mm-hmm. and just sort of watching it rain outside. Um, and so when I say it's not, you know, per, I don't have like a personal story like, oh, I did this thing. It's more of like, it's, it's how the music makes me feel. This is more of a feeling album. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't performed those songs yet, so I haven't practiced those stories, but I have the stories. I just haven't articulated those to a live audience yet. This is another eerie moment because, you know, the next thing I have written down is um, 
you know, this could definitely change over time, but my favorite songs on the album right now are Droplets of Grey, Shimmer, and Moonlight Shadows. Okay, cool. <laughs> Two of which you just <laughs> named. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is Shimmer's my favorite song on the album, and Moonlit Shadows is also another favorite because it's very different from anything that I've ever written. It's a different mm. format. It's a different feel, different chord structures, you know. Yeah. Can you tell me about the last song on the album, Lanterns in the Sky? Yeah, so that song... So we went to a lantern festival they do them here in utah out at the at the motor park kind of you know they're you can't catch anything on fire out there mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but they i mean thousands and thousands of people go to this thing and and you're out in this in the middle of this giant kind of like gravel parking lot and they have um little fire pit stations where everybody kind of gathers around and and you have these paper lanterns and you can write on them and make wishes and do you know do like designs and stuff on them if you want to mm-hmm. and then they wait until it's like you know the, the right time and they tell everybody please don't you know let your lanterns go until the right moment and then and then you kind of catch them on fire and and light them on the inside and wait for the the heat to fill up it's kind of like a like a hot air balloon and then they announce it and everyone releases them at the same time and they all float up into the darkness and it is by far one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen in my life. Like it actually made me cry. Mm. And in my in my mind, I was like, I wish I had music going on in my ears. I wish I could be listening to Enya and Ludovico and and you know, just beautiful music to accompany this experience because mm-hmm. it was just amazing. So when I wrote Lanterns in the Sky, to me, I like actually while I was writing it, I just kept thinking about the lanterns floating up into the darkness. And so I'm like, that's what this song is. It's just got to be about that. And and yeah, so I actually created a video for that song as well. It's on YouTube. And I did a bunch of video footage of lanterns going up into the sky from different lantern festivals around the world. And yeah, I love that. And when you were writing it, were you, you know, going off of memory? of these lanterns in the sky or did you have like photos? Oh no, it was memory. It was the whole feeling of the experience of standing in that, in that darkness and just watching thousands of these beautiful, you know, paper lights floating away into the darkness. It was, yeah, just, I can vividly still see it as I'm telling you about it. Mm -hmm. Were there any challenging moments in making this album or do you feel like you have it kind of down to a science at this point? Uh, this particular album was on a little bit on the challenging side because I was trying to utilize a different sound on my piano. So um, I there's a there's a technique called felting. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where Mm-mm. where <clears throat> they usually do it on upright pianos, and they'll place a piece of of felt between the hammers and the strings. So when the hammer hits the string, it creates a much softer, a lot more quiet and delicate sound on the piano, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to try and come up with a sound similar to that. I did not want to felt my own piano, um, but I, I have an extremely expressive piano that can really um, change the way it sounds um, depending on how you're playing it light. If you're playing it lightly, um, and then also if you use what's called the sustenuto pedal, which is the soft pedal, um, what that does is it moves the hammer over so that it's only hitting two strings instead of three. So it quiets the piano down and gives it a little bit different sound. So I wrote the music on this album specifically to have that quieter sound. And so the challenging part was, you know, writing music in a more 
uh, delicate style, writing music and playing my piano in a more delicate way. So there, there were definitely some challenges um, in the way that I normally play and write music, but um, that was by design. I know that you have a story, you know, for each of these songs, each of your songs. But, you know, when you're thinking about this new album, Luminous, does anything else come to mind? Um, no, just in terms of I want the whole entire album actually started like the concept of it started as just sort of like an interim album because I, my next big project is actually my next big project. So I'm writing, um, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but, but I wanted to release music just sort of in the meantime. And I thought, well, I'm just going to create this special edition, 10 songs all, you know, is all I'm going to do. And I'm just going to write these little adult style lullabies and, you know, not really, I wasn't planning on really even doing a lot of promotion or making it a big release, Mm -hmm. but then as it started to come together, and as it became, you know, more and more of a theme and a concept and, and, and I really started to become excited about it, you know, it became way more of a, of a massive album release. And so for me, it, the, you know, the idea of it started off as just sort of a, <clears throat> you know, yeah, I'll just do some music mm-hmm. <laughs> to, oh, now I have this, you know, this album that I'm really excited about and really proud of. And I really want to, you know, push it out there and, and make sure, you know, people can hear it. So that's. Does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's um, that's super interesting. That, and it's such a creative person thing to do, where it's like I want to create, but you know, this next big project isn't for you know however long, and I want to do something right now. Yeah, yeah, and that's completely that's exactly how it started, and then it turned into something. <laughs> completely different, you know, and now I've got this other album. So my next big project is actually going to be released early fall next year, if I can pull it off. Um, And it is a, it's going to be a two disc album themed around my trip to Iceland um, Mm. in September of last year. My sister and I took a a three week trip to Iceland and traveled around the entire country. And so I have um, an entire album's worth of music inspired by that trip. And the cool part about that album, um, and you're actually the very, very first person to know this. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But um, it is going to be a two-disc set, which will, one disc will be just solo piano. Mm-hmm. And the second, which will be the main the main part of the album, will be a fully orchestrated uh, piano and orchestration. Um, I'm working with my friend Glenn Gabriel, who um, did the orchestration on my song, So Long, Mr. Selfish, from Out of the Darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And he and I are going to do um, all 10 songs completely and fully orchestrated and themed around, um, he's from Scandinavia, he's from Sweden, so he's Scandinavian. And Iceland is not Scandinavian, but they, you know, original Vikings and all that. So yeah. I feel like he can bring such an incredible musical element to this music that I'm writing. And yeah, so it's going to be big. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exciting. And you've never done that before besides that so long mr selfish right right yeah i've only um i've only ever collaborated twice so i did the so long mr selfish with glenn and then i did um a song called when the rain falls with the gothard sisters which they are a celtic trio out of uh, washington state and they're amazing and they wrote us we we wrote a song together um with fiddle and flute and piano and 
and it's uh, very Celtically, you know, Celtically themed or, or uh, created. And yeah, so those are the only times I've ever done that. And so a full album with Glenn is going to be a really exciting project. <laughs> and do you know what that working relationship will look like? I think it will be... Um, um, so I'm going to create the piano portions and then basically send those to him and he's going to orchestrate around that. And then I'm sure we'll have some back and forth, but it's going to be all digitally because he lives in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we'll communicate via email and uh, video chat and, you know, sending files back and forth to each other and fine tuning things. And then of course we'll have a mastering engineer and, and he and I are sharing the album. So when it comes time for production and, you know, release, we'll, you know, have to work on that together, but it'll be, it'll be interesting because, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not even in the same location. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, technology is wild. You know, you and I are not in the same location right now, but the final product of this will, you know, It'll sound great. It'll sound like you and I are just, you know, sitting around chatting. Yeah, right. And like my collaboration with the Gothard sisters, wait, they, you know, they sent me a request and said, would you like to do a song with us? And I said, sure. And they sent me an idea of what they, what they thought. And I was like, oh, let me, you know, so I added some piano stuff and sent it back to them. And we just went back and forth adding and sharing, you know, digital files with one another. And then, and then final song, they, you know, they took it to a mastering engineer and released it on their album. So it's just, That's it's awesome. pretty incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, a while back, I asked if you thought about composing music for film and you said that would be a dream. Have you thought any more about that? I have. Um, I I have never done it. And so the idea of, of writing... Um, you know, to video footage and creating music for, you know, whatever's happening in that, in that scene. I, it sounds to me like it would be really cool. Like it would mm -hmm. be such a creative space, right? Like, yeah. like it would put me in a different mindset of composing as well, because you know, it's not really how I compose now. I, I, you know, I just sort of write by feeling. And so it would be really, um, I don't know, I think it would be challenging and it would be exciting and it would be, um, at just in such an extremely creative way to create music. And, and then of course the element of, you know, I'm a solo pianist. Mm -hmm. And so the way I write music is just piano, but it would be really cool to, you know, be able to do orchestration and, and, but sometimes, you know, just the simplicity of piano is really nice. So mm -hmm. yeah, someday. I wonder if composing for a podcast would be different, you know, because they're both audio. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I've never done it. So I would just have to, you know, try it out. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any dream projects? Um, I secretly would really love to, you know, do singer songwriter, release an album of me, you know, singing. I would need to take voice lessons and really improve, you know, that part of, of it. And it would be, you know, I don't know. To me, that's, that's one of those things that I dream about, but I'm terrified to do it because I, I think my biggest fear is that people would hear it and then say things like, you know, you should just stick to the piano music, mm. you know, even though I know that there's for every hundred people that say something wonderful it all it takes is one person to say something mean. And it just, it, it, it disqualifies everything else. And so, yeah. you know, there, there's definitely an anxiety and fear aspect to doing that. But, you know, this next, this Iceland album with orchestration is something that, you know, that I've, 
wanted to do and I'm really excited about. So, you know, anything new is always exciting. Since it's the holidays, I wanted to ask if you would mind if I played this conversation out on one of your Christmas songs. Sure. Which one do you think? Um, well, the I guess it depends on what kind of feel you're going for. Do you want something a little bit darker or something a little bit more lively? I don't know. How do you think this conversation went? I think it's good. I think it's lively and fun. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's the vibe we're going for. Yeah. So, I mean, Christmas 3, my version of um, Canon and D is one of my favorites on that album. Um, something a little bit more simple but beautiful would be um, uh, the Jingle Bells version um, or even just the We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Michelle, that does it for my questions. You know, I wanted to thank you for spending this time with me and for creating music that honestly helps me create this podcast. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm, first of all, I'm just really grateful that, you know, you are, um, that you've been a a listener and hung out with me all this time and, you know, (laughs) supported my music and, you know, had me on the show. And this is, you know, the second time we've done this. And so I'm grateful for these opportunities and I'm grateful for your friendship and, Yeah, so thank you. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Crude theme music is produced by Alcoda Beats. Outro music is by Michelle McLaughlin.